Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. All right. We are in Luke chapter 24 in our Bibles. Luke chapter 24, if you want to turn there. And the title of the message is Our Greatest Need. Our Greatest Need. Heard of a story, maybe you heard this one too, about a pastor who decided he wanted to play golf one Easter Sunday morning. So he called the associate pastor and he told him he wasn't feeling well and that he couldn't preach. The associate pastor promised that he would take his place in the pulpit and said that they would pray for him because the pastor wasn't feeling well. So bright and early on Easter morning, the pastor drove 80 miles away from the church thinking he would, wouldn't run into anyone he knew. And at that time, an angel said to God, do you see that guy, Lord, that pastor? He's playing hooky from preaching just to play golf on Easter. Are you going to let him get away with that? The Lord said, no way. We're not going to let him get away with that. So the preacher got up on the hardest, most difficult hole of the day, and he swung the club as hard as he could. He teed off, and the ball went sailing 300 yards and it landed only a few inches from the hole. And it rolled and rolled and slowly it approached the hole. And bam, it went in. It drops in a hole in one. The man starts screaming and yelling at the top of his lungs. The angel looking from heaven said, Lord, did you see what happened? Why did you let him get a hole in one on the hardest course? The Lord says, well, who's he going to tell? <laughs> it's just a joke. Happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Our greatest need. Let me ask you, what is our greatest need? Is it air? Is it water? Is it good LA food? Let me ask you, what is our greatest need? I think our greatest, our two greatest needs on the planet are things that all humans want. Number one, the good life. We want happiness here on earth and peace and joy. That's all, we just want peace and joy. We want to be able to sleep at night. We want to wake up the next day full of joy. Not fake happiness and putting on this front, but we want sincere joy. And we also want eternal life. We want to somehow live forever and keep enjoying the good life. We have all of these ways we're trying to stop ourselves from aging and trying to stay young as much as possible. We pursue everything to gain the good life, huh? Success and money and power, achievements, vacation, adventures, experiences. We want to feel good. We, we use whatever is near to escape. We'll use food to escape, a good TV show or movie, or a glass of wine. Some will even use drugs to escape. We pursue more material things because we think they need, we need them for status, for luxury. We, we want to be healthy to live longer and have enjoyable lives. We search endlessly for knowledge. From Google to university, we search. We want the power of knowing. We search out love here in L.A. because we want to be accepted. We want somebody to love us and accept us. We pursue art, creating, imagining, escaping into another world we wish we had. We pursue causes and political movements, hoping to make life better for others. And the truth is, most of these things are not bad in and of themselves. They're not bad at all. They're fine. The problem only begins when we expect them to give us what they can't. We believe these things will make us feel good about ourselves. We believe there is a payout. We are seeking for life in the things of the earth instead of seeking the life in the one who made the earth. 
the one who gives life and the one who can take it away. You see, how can we seek for everything in the world except for the one who made it? How do we seek everything on the planet except for the one who made it, the one who actually holds all of the joy, all of the peace, all of the love, all of the truth, all of the knowledge? All that we ever desire is found in him. We wonder why these things don't satisfy. It's because we're seeking the creation instead of the creator. I feel this every time uh, an Amazon package comes in. You know what I'm talking about? You're like waiting and waiting and waiting, and then it finally shows up, and you're like, and if they miss it by a day, you're like, I can't believe they missed it by a day. And you're like waiting and waiting and waiting. You think it's going to like be some magic, you know, box that's going to do something, and you open it, and you remember it's just toothpaste, you know, and you're like, oh. these things weren't created to satisfy us. They were created to point us back to the one who satisfies. It's in him. What your heart is longing for is a relationship with your God who made you. He loves you. He's a father who loves his kids. He's for you. When we see a sunset or hear some beautiful music or come in contact with the most amazing animal or build something new or experience something breathtaking and adventurous, it moves us to be in awe. It moves us to say, wow. And it should move us not to worship the thing, but worship the one who made it. Enjoy the earth that he has given us. The playground is for you. He built it for you. He built it for me. And every time we experience it, we should keep pointing back to him and praising him. You see an awesome sunset and you sit back and say, wow, that is incredible, Lord. Thank you. It's amazing that these things even bless us, really. It seems to take a lifetime to figure out what life is all about and then we end up dying. Only if we could find the good life now and then walk in it forever, one day at a time. Jerry Seinfeld said this about death. He said, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Death is number two? Does that seem right? He says, that means to the average person, if you have to go to a memorial service, you're better off in the casket than having to stand up and give the eulogy. You have more fear in standing up there than being in the casket. Population Reference Bureau claimed that 108 billion people have walked the earth since 8,000 BC. 108 billion people have walked the earth since 8,000 BC. And there are currently around 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet, around 8 billion potentially. And that means that 100 billion people have died. And how many of those people do you remember? Who is the one person that has seemed to sweep the earth with popularity? It is the Lord Jesus. Why? How did he get so popular? How was he only in the public eye for three years, yet the world still knows his name? Well, he didn't do just anything. He did something that no one could ever do. He solved the one thing people wish they had the answer to. He raised himself from the dead. People have been trying to do this. No religious guru ever dares say something like that. Hey, I'm going to raise from the dead. So you should show up to my memorial service. I want everybody to be there because I'm going to raise from the dead. No one would ever dare do this. But Jesus, the Lord Jesus did. He has the answer to life and death. How do I find the good life? How do I live forever in that good life? We are going to answer both of those questions today in our text before us. 
Let's take a look at what happened this day 2,000 years ago. We are in Luke chapter 24 in our Bibles. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to remember whose word we are reading. This ain't my words. Uh, I want to remind you today, my words will never change you. I may be able to motivate and encourage you, but I cannot change a mind. I cannot change a heart. If I can change your mind, somebody else will change it back. But the word of God transforms us forever. We lean into him. We look at his word. We pay honor to him for what he has done. Take a look at Luke chapter 24 in our Bibles. Are you there? And it says, now on the first day of the week, early at dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it had happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And when the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Who do you seek the living one among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you? While he was saying, still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And then when they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the rest of the women were there with them. They were telling them these things to the apostles, but these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they were not believing them. Peter stood up and ran to the tomb. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away by himself, marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for the promise of this resurrection in this life and in the next. It is our hope. It is our peace. It is our rest. And we pray, Lord, that you would reveal your text to us, the story to us once again. Minister to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Notice it was the first day of the week, Sunday. And it was very early in the morning. On Friday, Jesus was crucified and laid in a grave. It was very early Sunday morning in our text. And women who followed Jesus were up bringing spices to the tomb. Verse 2 and 3, take a look at your text. It says, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they were in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They must have been shocked. First, how did the stone get moved? Tombs were above ground, more like a cave back in that day, carved from a stone, and a giant stone was rolled in front of the door of the tomb. And here we see the door was open, and Jesus was gone. They were all wondering who took the body, no blood trail. When I was living in Israel, I lived in Israel around 24 years old. And uh, I had a big beard down to here, and I had long hair. Use, my, use your imagination. And um, I remember uh, we got to go to the tomb. We went there a few times while we were there. And one night we were there late and the place was closing. And we asked the guy who was tending to the garden. It's the garden tomb. It's in a garden. Uh, we said, we want to do something that nobody gets to do. What can we do? And he's like, well, there's a cistern under this entire garden. You want to go down there? We're like, I don't know. You know. So he opens the manhole and we look down there. There's water under an ancient cistern under this garden. 
And then uh, we're like, well, what else? You know? And so he takes us over into the tomb where they believe Jesus was laid. And there's gates there that nobody's able to get into because they don't want you over there in that place. So he opens the gate and he lets us in there. And uh, we have this on video too. And my buddy Christian lays down in the spot where they believe the Lord was laid. Uh, yeah, wild, right? You're like, some of you are like, blasphemy. No, no. Uh, it, it, was, it was incredible just to sit there and to reminisce, to read the story and just to think like, was the Lord really there? There's probably about 15 or 20 points as you go through the tour there where they, they won't say a thousand percent this is where the Lord was buried, but they believe all of these points point to the fact that this is probably the place where he was buried because Golgotha is right there and he's buried outside the city and it was in the rich man's tomb and in a garden where a cistern was. All of these things add up and this is the closest place to the city of Jerusalem that he was probably buried and that's why they believe it to be so. It was incredible. And there was no body there. How do you lose the body of the most famous guy to ever walk the earth? How do you do that? And it happened as they were greatly perplexed, look at verse 4, about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? As they are racking their brains trying to figure out what happened, two men in shiny garments show up. What did they look like? Uh, these are angels, spiritual beings standing there. This is crazy because these people were afraid, so afraid. They see these spiritual beings. They bow themselves to the ground immediately. They were glowing. And these angels said, why do you seek the living among the dead? And they thought to themselves as the angel said this to them, is Jesus alive? Is he actually alive? You see, they were troubled, wondering what had happened, and here angels appeared to them. The Lord was everything to them. He had walked with them for three years. It would be like literally walking with the Savior of the world. You see him do miracles. You see him do healings. You see him say the most amazing things. You see him bless and love people at a very deep level. He, he, he radically transforms that area, and all of a sudden, they thought he was going to be king. They thought he was going to take over. They were hoping he would be king and stop this political rule from the Romans that was suppressive to the Jews. But Jesus did not come to save them from the political system. He came to save them from their sins. He came to save them from death and their deepest need. They were troubled, wondering where he had gone. They say, these angels say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 6, I love this. He is not here but he is risen. And they say, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. You would think as believers, as disciples, every time the Lord talked about this, like, now guys, listen up, boys. Hey, get over here. Huddle up. Okay, now remember, I'm going to be crucified, okay? I'm going to be buried in the ground, and I'm going to rise from the dead three days later. You think they'd be like, oh, taking notes, taking notes. Okay, I remember. Every time he said something like this, somebody would try to rebuke him. Be like, Lord, you're not going to do that. We're not letting you do that. Nobody's going to kill you, okay? You're Superman. We're not letting that happen. The Lord said, no, no, this is going to happen. Verse 8 says, then they remembered his words. Two things. 
The angels tell the ladies Jesus is risen and that he is alive. Number two, and then they say, don't you remember? He told you this would happen, that he would be crucified, that he would rise on the third day. Jesus predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection because he knew. His life was planned before he was born. Did you know that? The babe was born to die. And we love that cute baby, little baby Jesus in the manger. We love that cute little baby Jesus in the manger. But he was to grow up, and he was born to die. Do you remember Matthew chapter 1, verse 21? She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Before he was born, they go to, the angel comes to Mary, surprise, it's a boy. Oh, thank you. No, first, surprise, you're pregnant. What? Yeah, yeah, you're pregnant. Surprise, it's a boy. Gender reveal right there. And then takes it a step further. Surprise, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Wait, you mean I don't even get to name my little baby boy? No, I'm sorry, Mary. You don't get to name him. His name will be called the Lord is Salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Before he was even born, all of this was planned, predicted, and it happened. You see, Jesus came to the earth with a mission to serve and to save people. Jesus said of himself in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The King of kings, the Lord of lords of all creation coming down to the earth to serve his own people. It's the most beautiful story there is. Verse 9, Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Check this out. Jesus entrusted the ladies and their testimony from the angels as proof to tell the disciples he had risen from the dead. The women knew before Jesus' own disciples did. I thought this was hilarious. That's how it is most of the time, huh, ladies? <laughs> and what's even more funny is it says in verse 11 that the disciples did not believe. They didn't believe. That gives me hope. That gives us hope. Yes, even Jesus' own disciples didn't believe at first, though he had told them over and over that he would die and rise from the dead. They say, Jesus rose from the dead. The ladies come running. They, he rose from the dead. We saw the tomb. No, he didn't. No, no, stop. Don't do that. Don't do that to me. It's not true. You have to remember they were devastated. Their friend, their leader, their savior, their king, their Messiah had just been arrested beaten, bloodied, crucified, and killed right in front of their eyes. They were absolutely crushed and broken. They thought they were going to conquer with him. And their general was now gone. They ran and hid. They were scared to death. They thought the same was going to happen to them. Their fearless leader was gone, and they were alone and in doubt. Remember Peter? He ran and hid. And so, you know, remember the, the girl said to him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' guys? He says, no, no, I, I don't know him. I don't even know what you're talking about. He was scared they were going to arrest him, beat him, and crucify him. So we know he denied the Lord three times. 
And when they denied the Lord the third time, it said, Jesus said the rooster would crow. Even Peter said, I'll never deny you, Lord. I will never deny you. And he denied the Lord three times in the midst of the crucifixion and the flogging. And it says in the text that as the rooster crowed the third time, that Jesus was walking by and looked and saw Peter and locked eyes with him. The Lord knows. They didn't just believe. And that's some of our stories today now, isn't it? You didn't just believe at first, but the Lord drew you to himself through a series of events. Me too. Some of you are coming close to the Lord for the first time in a while, and today you are here, and we're happy you're here. We're blessed you are here. We're blessed to have you. Some of you are coming to believe for the first time, and we celebrate with you. You picked a perfect day. It's the day the disciples believed too. They didn't believe at first. It took a little negotiating and convincing. But we'll see that they finally believe. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I believe God has brought you here to find rest. Before our service is closed today, I'm going to pray for you that today you would find rest for your soul. That's why we're here. We're here to draw close to the Lord and celebrate what God has done for us. Back to our story. So after the angels tell the women Jesus had risen from the dead, they go and tell the disciples, and just as we saw, none of them believe the women except Peter. Look at verse 12. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. Peter was like, well, I don't know, maybe it could happen. Maybe I should just go and see. So Peter takes off sprinting to the tomb, and he, he, he stoops down, it says, because, again, the hole would have been just about this big, and you would go into the cave, and uh, there, then there in the cave there would be places to lay the bodies. And it says Peter stoops down to look inside to see what is happening, and he starts to wonder, marveling to himself. John's Gospel tells us, it this way, it's kind of funny. The Bible has humor in it. Uh, it says in John 23, uh, Peter went therefore before them and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. So Peter and the other disciple. They both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. <laughs> the author John <laughs> is writing the book of John, and as he's writing it, he's like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make sure the world knows, okay? Um, uh, we were both running, the other disciple and Peter, and uh, Peter took off first, but I actually outran him. Thank you very much. Is this a race, John? Notice the author writes that they found linen cloths lying in the tomb. Yeah, so what? Something that Jesus' body was stolen. It's just some of the skeptics, some of the reasons they give. But how do you explain the most famous person's body on the earth gone missing? And notice, grave robbers don't unravel burial clothes first before taking a body. They found his linen cloths, burial bandages, evidence that he had risen. Like, yeah, we've got to steal the tomb before somebody, I mean, steal the body before somebody finds out. And he tries to rise from the dead and it causes a revolution in the land. So they go in there and they sneak in and they start unraveling the cloths. No, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. Remember, their best friend, their leader, their king was put to death at 33 years old. They were devastated. 
And now Peter and John standing there, staring at the grave in awe. He was gone. He rose from the dead, just like he said he would. Peter and John were beside themselves. They probably started jumping and shouting and praising God. The Lord is alive. He's alive. Tears of joy and laughter. Their best friend was back from the dead. When they saw the resurrection, they were changed immediately by it. The Lord had told them many times over and over that he would die and rise from the dead, but they didn't get it. One time Peter tried to rebuke the Lord for actually saying this. And the Lord said to him, get behind me, Satan. This is my mission. This is what I'm up to. It was all foretold. Many times when we think of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus, we don't understand the implications of it. Yes, okay, Josh, Jesus rose from the dead. It's a miracle for sure, but what does that have to do with me? And what's so important about a guy rising from the dead? Let me give you three reasons why the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest day in all of history. Number one, the resurrection is the proof for Christianity. The resurrection proves that everything Jesus said and did was true. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said the resurrection is a fact better attested than any event recorded in any history, whether ancient or modern. And it's really actually true if you look into it. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, said, Jesus has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. In his resurrection, Jesus proved what he came to do was true. How so? Well, the people in Jesus' time wanted proof to verify what he was saying and doing was true. He was going around saying things like this, I am the son of God. Like, you can't say that. He would go around forgiving people of their sins. You can't just do that. What if some guy on the street walked up at the gas station, he just starts trying to forgive you of your sins. You're like, well, weirdo, get away. And then he says, I'm actually the son of God. You're like, okay, double weirdo. <clears throat> The same was happening in Jesus' day. He was saying radical things, and they wanted a sign that what he said was true. John 2, 18, so the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But the temple he was speaking about was the temple of his own body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Family, the resurrection is the center of Christianity. Without this proof, Christianity is dead. It isn't true. Jesus would be dead, and everything he said would be bogus. But if he actually rose from the dead, what if he actually rose from the dead? What if he actually rose himself from the dead. The implications are infinite. You see, if you're a skeptic or an atheist and you want something to research or disprove, disprove the resurrection. If you destroy the resurrection, Christianity is a lie. But if he really did rise from the dead, then guess what? All he said was true. That means he really is the Son of God, the Messiah, virgin born, the only way to God, the bread of life, the good shepherd, the prince of peace, the savior of the world. If he really rose from the dead, it's all true. Larry King, the great interviewer, once said that if he could choose one person to interview from the course of human history, he would choose to interview Jesus Christ. King said that he would like to ask Jesus if he was indeed virgin born. 
He added, the answer to that question would define history for me. That's all that's needed. Somehow he is still the center of our stories in our world. His name is still being brought up. He's still saving, redeeming people's lives for 2,000 years. He is alive forevermore. Number two, the resurrection brings eternal life. The resurrection is first the proof. Number two, it brings eternal life. Humans have a huge problem on earth. No one has been able to fix this. It is called death. It's the most awkward, unnatural thing for a human to experience. And it's proven one out of every one person will die. Did you know that? The resurrection of Christ is the good news, but the bad news is what Christ had to go through to bring us the resurrection. We just celebrated Good Friday. The only reason Friday was good is because of the bad day that Jesus had. Jesus took the full punishment of our sin on the cross that day so that we could go free before God. Did you know that? We have sinned before God, and that's what's broken the relationship with our Creator. And as we continue to sin and run from Him, this is what keeps the relationship distant from the Father who made us. And Jesus died for the sin that separates us from God so that He could bring us back into relationship with the God who made us. When He is dying on the cross, the crucifixion is an outward showing of the inward punishment that He is taking spiritually for the wrath of God spiritually is being poured upon his own son, the wrath that was supposed to be poured on me, the wrath that was supposed to be poured on us for sinning against God. Jesus is actually taking the punishment in that moment. And the thief on the cross, there the one to the left who had, was a true criminal, who had done great wrong, who deserved crucifixion, was dying there next to him and said to him, Lord, please, Remember me in paradise. He acknowledged him as Lord. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal on the cross, he said that to the man. He forgave him of all of his sins in that moment because he has the power to do so. In that moment, he was taking the punishment for us. He was taking prison for us so that we don't ever have to go there. He was drinking down hell for us. Sin can't go unpunished before a holy God. God is a good, righteous judge and will not let people get away with wickedness and sin. The Hitlers of the world will face their judge. No one gets away. Sin has separated us from the God who made us, and it brings punishment upon us. On the cross, Jesus was taking the punishment for our sin so we can go free. Jesus took hell upon himself so that you don't have to. You won't end up in hell because there isn't a way out. You'll end up there because your sin hasn't been forgiven, and you don't want anything to do with God. You have to pay for it yourself. There is a real heaven. There is a real hell. And Christ has made a way for us to be forgiven of all of your sin and saved from eternal judgment. Do you know God didn't make hell for humans? Did you know that? The Bible says it was made for the devil and his fallen angels. Did you know that? Those who go there are only those who don't want God's forgiveness. They don't want anything to do with him. No one will get there in surprise. It will only be those who truly desire no relationship with God. Hell is simply the absence of God. It's far worse than fire. Fire is easy. Uh, the absence of joy and peace and rest and love and light and truth. Everything good, everything sweet, everything wonderful, gone for eternity. No thanks. If you don't want God, you can have it that way for eternity. These aren't my words. This is the Lord Jesus' words. 
I'm just a delivery boy trying to tell you what he actually said. Do you know he actually spoke more about hell than he did about heaven? No one wants to point that out because we're scared to let people know the truth. But I must tell you the truth because I believe it will bring goodness and blessing and promises, true promises in your life. You need to know that God does not offer hell to people. He offers forgiveness and grace. He loves you. Do you know why Jesus did this? Only one reason. Simply because he loves us. And I'm growing to understand that in my own kids. My little Eden and my little Shep, I'm growing to understand. I love my kids because I love them and I love to lay my life down for them. It is not a burden. It may be difficult at times, but I love to do it because I love them. 2 Peter 3.6, the Lord is not... Three, nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance, all would come to know him. First Timothy 2, 3, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, all of them, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I want nothing more than to LA, for L.A. to wake up and be saved and to come to a relationship with the God who made him. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a real relationship with God. Loving him, knowing him, the one who is love. And you know what it causes us to do? Love our neighbor. Love our neighbor above ourselves. Lowering ourselves and lifting up others, honoring others. Oh, Lord, do this work in us. Save our city. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free, free, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, what do I have to do? You have to walk across the Sahara Desert. You have to whip your back 20 times. You have to pray 10 times a day, bowing in a certain direction. Then maybe... God will give you heaven. Oh no, the scripture says for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. He gives it to you for free. But it was not cheap. It cost him everything. Why would you give it to him for free, Lord? Because you love him. Because he loves us, John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Whoever believes in Jesus, though he dies, will live forever in heaven forever. I've had many loved ones step into eternity. My brother, my mother, my grandfather. And if the resurrection is not true, they have died and I will never see them again. But if it is true, I will see them again soon. And it is true. We say online, oh, rest in peace. I hope you're well. We'll see you there. Do you really believe that? Is it just some saying that we're saying, I need that to be true. I need to know on the other side, I will see them again. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. Humans just die. But we do have a hope. And we have a solution to that problem. Why do we hurt so bad over these things if it's no big deal? It's because we were not made to die. But to live forever with God and enjoy the earth Sin has infected us and separated us from God. And this is why we hurt and we hate each other. No love, no harmony on the earth. We die because of sin. We decay now because of sin. But Christ has brought a remedy for us in the resurrection. We will rise from the dead. Praise God. 
Maybe you don't know that you'll go to heaven when you die, but you want to. I'm going to give you that opportunity to make things right with God today. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to give you that opportunity to make things right with God. Please don't leave this place without doing that. Finally, the resurrection brings the good life now. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy you. But I, Jesus said, have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus rose from the dead so that you would be raised to life right now. In this life here on earth, he's come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. In the resurrection, God is redeeming all things back to the way they were supposed to be. Back to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember the Garden of Eden? It was wonderful. There was love and peace and joy. No sadness, no pain, no difficulty, no death. And it was Adam and Eve in there with God, and they were supposed to what? Hey, enjoy the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Have families. Have grandkids. Have, build a civilization. Love me. Walk with me. And love one another. Enjoy the earth. I've given you the garden. But sin messed the whole thing up. God wants to restore us back to the Garden of Eden. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the life you are seeking. I promise you that. Jesus wants to give you true life here on this earth, a life of meaning and purpose, a life of blessings and salvation. What is the point to this whole thing? I'm telling you. God just wants a relationship with you one day at a time. Walk with him, enjoy him through life. And that relationship should cause you to love and serve the people around you on this planet. And then get on enjoying it. Build, create, do wonderful things. Have an absolute blast loving and serving each other and pointing people back to the God who made you. That's it. It's very simple. The whole law is wrapped up in two commands. Please love God and just love one another. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And maybe some of you feel like that today. Life has not been going well. You've made problems for yourself. Life's just not going and working the way you know it should. Jesus would say to you again, Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and low in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The life you've been searching for is found in Jesus. You are made to worship God. Maybe you're saying, well, what must I do to be saved from my sins today, Pastor, and forgiven by God? Do I need to go into a booth and ask you to forgive me? Please don't do that. No. I cannot forgive you of your sins. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. I can point you to the one who forgives. He is the final priest, the Lord Jesus says it in his word, and you go to him. And you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. What must I do to be saved and forgiven by God? How do I go to heaven when I die? Here it is, it's the four R's. You must realize you've sinned against God. You must recognize what Jesus has done for you in taking your punishment on the cross. You must repent of your sins, running away from God and turn back to God. Stop running from God and just turn to him and start walking with him. It's that simple. Believe on him so much that you just start walking with him. Do I have to be perfect? No. Actually, he wants us just to come broken. Lord, this is all I got. Will you use this broken pot for your glory? He says, that's all I need. 
That's exactly what I want. And finally, you must receive him as Lord and Savior over your life. Simply believe on him and receive him. Make him your Lord and Savior over your whole life. And that's it. That gives us the gift of heaven and a relationship with him forever. Listen to this poem. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. Some of you need to be forgiven today. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord and allow me to read this verse over you as we pray. Let's turn to the Lord with all of our heart. Lord, do you hear us? We thank you for your word and we thank you for this beautiful Sunday, Easter Sunday. We remember you and the great work you've done in the resurrection. You said in your word, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Father, I pray that you would renew relationships here in this moment. I pray that you would save now. I pray that you would forgive. I pray that you would make relationships brand new. I pray, Lord, that you would give the gift of heaven. And I pray that our eternity would not only be sealed and taken care of, but that life and that abundantly would start with you right now as we turn our lives to you. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and we're praying, you say, Pastor Josh, that's actually me. I want to turn my life over to God now. I want to turn my life back to him. I want to start walking with him from this day forward. I want to make him Lord and Savior over my life. I need him to forgive me of my sins. If that's you, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and we're praying as a sign of faith, would you just raise up your hand let me pray for you? God bless you and you. Amen. God bless you and you. Anybody else? Would you raise up your hand? Let me pray for you. You know God's speaking to you. You know God is drawing you. You know God is calling you into closer relationship with him. Maybe this is a first-time commitment or maybe it's a recommitment to the Lord and you know you need to do it on this Sunday. Would you let me pray for you? God bless you, man. Anybody else? Would you raise up your hand? God bless you as well, man. Those of you in the back, many hands. God bless you guys. Anybody else? Let me pray for you. Your hand is up. Okay. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for these hands raised. You see them, you know their hearts, you know what's going on. And I pray, Father, that you would forgive them of their sins. I pray that you would make them new. I pray that you would raise them to life right now in this moment. As they believe on you with all of their heart, would you restore their relationship with you, that they would get on loving you and loving those around them, that they would believe on this message with all of their hearts, they would make you Lord and Savior, they would turn away from sin and turn to you with all of their hearts. New creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things are new. And I pray for those who haven't raised their hand, maybe there are believers who've been believers for a long time, but are raising their hand in their heart saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, would you forgive them, make them new, restore them and bless them. Bring their relationship close to you like never before. We recommit our lives to you now. We thank you for the gift of heaven. Help us to walk with you from this day forward. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless all of you.